If you're listening to this, you probably know what we're getting into today. Uh, So we've gathered a panel of mostly Jewish writers at The Athletic who cover the NBA to discuss Deshaun Jackson's and Steven Jackson's comments about Jewish people within the last week or week and a half. So I'm Fred Katz. I cover the Wizards for The Athletic. Uh, We had three Jewish writers and one non-Jewish writer come on, and and we just recorded a a great conversation about Deshaun Jackson's comments, about Steven Jackson's comments that followed, kind of how they made us feel, and and more so the the broader topics of of what those comments addressed and what they touched on. We had a great conversation, I think. Uh, it went on for a long time, and we kind of dove right into it. So I just wanted to record a little refresher for those who might need it, because a lot has been said in the last week and a half. So it started with Deshaun Jackson, great receiver for the Philadelphia Eagles, putting up on his Instagram a quote that was inaccurately attributed to Hitler. It wasn't a real Hitler quote, but it was attributed to him in his Instagram. And, and it said that white Jews are not, quote, the real children of Israel. It went on to say that they will extort America and that their plan for world domination won't work if they are exposed. Steven Jackson, not long after, retired NBA player who now hosts the All the Smoke podcast and has, of course, been a very central and very important figure in the Black Lives Matter movement since the murder of George Floyd, So Steven Jackson said on Instagram on Tuesday in a video about Deshaun Jackson, you know, he don't hate nobody, but he's speaking the truth of the facts that he knows and he's trying to educate others. Steven Jackson got flack for that. So then he went on Instagram again the next day. He spent a bunch of the next day on Instagram live. Uh, I watched a bunch of it. He was bringing fans on his Instagram live or I should say listeners or watchers or whatever it is on his Instagram live. And he was kind of cycling through them and bringing them on. And he had different types of interactions with different ones. Uh, but one that really stood out to me was the person who he was on with, who was who was really arguing with him uh, about this whole topic and his views on the topic. And the person he was on with was saying, the point is that Stephen Jackson is not just saying that Jews are not trying to divide the black community. And Stephen Jackson responded, do you know that for a fact? And then he later said, Do you know who the Rothschilds are? They own all the banks, which is, of course, not true and also part of an anti-Semitic trope that has been around for a long, long, long time and was a major part of Nazi propaganda and was around that the Jews own the banks and control the media. And as conspiracy, it's been around for even longer than Nazis were around. Uh, Stephen Jackson went on CNN on Don Lemon's show later. He said it. Uh, it wasn't an insult, and the person he was talking to didn't take it as an insult. So the quote was, our conversation went on, and we had a good conversation. So the person I'm talking to understood what I was saying, and he didn't take it as an insult. I don't think nobody else should. Uh, he later apologized for using, as he put it, uh, quote, for using the wrong words. And he uh, has said time and time again that he's not an anti-Semite. He doesn't have any hate for anybody If you watch the video of him talking to the person when he made the Rothschilds comment, by the way, the person was very animated in his response. Stephen Jackson later did an Instagram live with a rabbi uh, where he said, I had to make it clear. Uh, I don't even know what he posted saying, referring that to Deshaun Jackson. But for me, even with the Rothschilds, I even hate saying that because that's the same kind of stereotype. When you see a black person, you say he's a gangster. So I shouldn't have even have said that in that conversation I was having, but I totally understand why everybody was hurt. And I just have to make it clear that I would never speak on something like that. I understand pain. So we gathered a bunch of writers around to talk about this. The podcast, by the way, was recorded on Friday afternoon. But here's that full conversation. 
we have a bunch of Jewish writers who cover the NBA from The Athletic. I'm Fred Katz. I cover the Wizards. I'm on with Jared Weiss, who covers the Celtics. Kendra Andrews, who covers the Nuggets. Eric Kareen, who covers the Raptors. And then our one non-Jewish friend who uh, wrote a, a great story recently on Stephen Jackson and George Floyd. John Krasinski, who who covers the Wolves. And uh, Kendra, you you went first to, to start us off when we were kind of talking about what we wanted to talk about. And I think you're going to have a really interesting perspective because we're all white and the, the core of this and male, but the core <laughs> of this conversation is the Deshaun Jackson comments of, of, or not the Deshaun Jackson comment, but the Deshaun Jackson fake quote from Hitler, uh, which is perpetuated by Louis Farrakhan, who both, both of the Jacksons follow that white Jews are not real Jews and white Jews are involved in a conspiracy. And one thing that I think is really interesting is I've never heard Jewish people talk about a race of a Jew. Like Jewish people talk about Judaism as a religion and a culture. And maybe when you get into the conversation of genocide, it becomes more of an ethnicity. But I never hear Jews talk about white Jews black Jews and anything like that. And I think you're going to have an interesting perspective on this because you are black and Jewish. And I'm just going to give you the floor because I know you're passionate about that topic and had a lot to say. (laughs) Well, I think for starters, I mean, I agree with you that I think Judaism or being Jewish only really comes into a race when you, yeah, you're talking about genocide. You're talking about the Holocaust. You're talking about Hitler's manifesto work we'll we'll call it and but at the same time it's it's interesting because people don't because I'm black people don't assume that I'm Jewish um there is an assumption that mostly white people are Jewish and so anytime I tell someone oh I'm I'm Jewish because my mother is Jewish she's white um but I'm Jewish really I, I didn't know that I wouldn't have thought that so I think that there is a connotation with being white and being Jewish um even though we all know that that's not true. And I think that, I don't know, I, I think it's interesting with, with what Deshaun Jackson and Steven Jackson were kind of saying or spewing or whatever. They're, they're definitely, I mean, I think there definitely was an assumption for them that all white or all Jewish people are white because they're talking about, yeah, like you said, they're dividing, they're, they're against us, they're, they're, there's a conspiracy, they own all the banks and they own where the money goes and where it comes from and how we get it and all this stuff. And it's like, well, you can't, you can't have such a black and white way of thinking of that. All white, all Jews are whites. So therefore none of them can understand us and where we come from and what we do and what we're going through, because there are people who share both identities of being not even necessarily black, just any person of color and having a Jewish faith. And so I think that that is an assumption that still runs pretty rampant around here. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that's true. And, and I think um, like Eric, you were talking about Jackson's conversation with the rabbi and you, you brought up an interesting point about his uh, his contrition. And, and I think what's interesting about the apologies is they're always followed up with, and this is my, look, this is my personal bias. I'm going to get into my personal bias on this. Um, but the apologies are, are followed up with, I didn't say anything. I've never said anything that's hateful. I've never said anything that's offensive. And to me, that comes down to 
truly understanding the issue. Like I was talking about earlier with like, if you understand why saying the Rothschilds control the banks or is offensive, you can understand that that's hateful. If you don't understand that, you might think you said nothing hateful. Eric, what do you, what do you make of that? First of all, I'd just like to back up what Kendra said. I have a cousin who married a black woman 20 years ago or, or something like that. And only recently did I find out her family's Jewish. And it, I don't want to say blew my mind, but it really surprised me. And, and so to like everybody making these assumptions, I made those same assumptions. And I think you don't go around assuming Black people are Jewish because even among the variety of Jews there are, that is not typical, certainly. So one can understand how that assumption would be made, I think. But on the apology, like I went through, you know, the Anti-Defamation League's six-page explanation of the trope of the Rothschilds owning the banks and Jews controlling the flow of money and all of that. Like I, I... I'm aware of the the general idea behind it, but you know, I read those, you know, sort of six pages and I'm still not entirely clear on how exactly it started, but I get why it's offensive, but it's a it, like it's a very complicated thing which weirdly makes it easy to use as a weapon as in anti-Semitism in this case because it's hard to refute if you don't know about it. So when Steven Jackson is apologizing, you know, but can't evoke what Farrah Khan is saying as wrong and can't really explain the issue, like it just leads me to believe, does he know what he's apologizing for? Like, you know, it's like, it's not even... The bringing up the Rothschilds is and it isn't like bringing up gangbangers, right? Like, or, or gangsters or whatever he said. It represents this whole history of Jewish people and specifically European Jews in this case, you know, is what he's making a statement on. And, you know, one of the worst genocides in human history surrounds those people. You can see why it would be easy, why it's correct to get your backs up when those assumptions are made and when an apology comes across that doesn't really show any understanding of what the offense was. Like we saw LeBron a few years ago, and I, I don't know if we were going to bring this up, but he was caught saying, I want to have Jew, I, rapping along with lyrics, I think it was, I, I want to have that Jewish money. And in his apology, he said, I thought that was a compliment. So like that's that's you know what we're working with not for a, an entire segment of the population but that's like there's so there's so little understanding about this conspiracy myth and the and the financial myth that it's hard to get to a point where you can you know truly believe that somebody understands why it's offensive. Yeah, and actually I think the Rothschild example allows us to circle back to what Kendra's original point was. Um, and by the way, the that specific example about uh, the Jewish money quote, which I think was a Jay-Z line, if I'm not mistaken. And I personally wasn't that offended by that because I feel I'm, I'm someone who's really ardent on defending free speech, even when it's something that obviously hurts my feelings, like what Steven Jackson is saying. And I feel like places like hip hop and comedy, those are places where 
I, I'm more comfortable with people stepping over the line of what would be considered PC in normal uh, normal conversation because it's generally being used um, in a safe space in which people accept that it's not meant to be malicious, but rather to kind of pull at some more controversial strings in order to evoke more emotion or entertainment value or whatever. So, you know, probably it's not really right, but I at least kind of recognize the context under which it's under. Um, and so going back to the Rothschild thing specifically, so I, I mean, I'm not an expert on the Rothschild's background, but basically the Rothschilds were a Jewish family in, I think, the late 18th century in Europe who uh, were very much responsible for kind of pioneering modern the modern banking system as it is. And so because of that, they became extremely prominent and powerful in the banking world. Of course, nowadays, I think the, the Rothschilds own a, a extremely small relative. They're still like a wealthy family, but they are a pretty small component of the banking world now. Um, but there are also other Jewish people that run some of the largest banks in the world. And the big thing that Stephen Jackson wasn't recognizing when he said the Rothschilds in that way is that these are just individual Jewish people that have become successful in the financial sector. Just like in Hollywood, most of the major Hollywood studios, uh, and I think this is true in the music industry too, a lot of them are run by Jewish people. Now, a big part of that is that um, there are J Jewish communities that really push their children to be educated in financial sectors or in management sectors and things like that. And that enabled them to be able to eventually find success in those industries. And there might be a little bit of nepotism, things like that within those industries. But in general, those are individual achievements by individual people. And it's not part of a cabal or representative as of Jews as a whole. And it, and it serves to recognize that just like every other ethnic group or race group or any sort of socio or socioeconomic group, there is a full spectrum of outcomes and types of people and priorities within that. And when you say things, and so when those kind of anti-Semitic tropes about how Jews control the banks and stuff like that, when those are said, it dehumanizes the individuality of each Jewish person. And it's the same thing that would be, you know, people try to use the gangster example when it comes to black people. It dehumanizes the individuality and the full spectrum of different types of people within the African American or just black community overall. I mean, one thing that that the comments make me wonder and and make me wonder about um, more so about I, I don't know. I, one thing that Deshaun Jackson specifically makes me wonder about is he posts a comment that's attributed to Hitler, that quote, right, where where it, it says that white Jews aren't real Jews um, and is essentially a way of delegitimizing Judaism, right? And dividing Judaism. And I wonder with Deshaun Jackson, with, with Stephen Jackson saying it's the truth, it sounds crazy. I know they know who Hitler is, but I, I, I kind of want to ask, like, do they know what Hitler did? Like, do they know to the full extent what Hitler did? Because one thing that we haven't really mentioned is the Rothschilds owning the banks Jews having a lot of money, Jews controlling the media, all those sorts of things. Those are major, major Nazi propaganda points that are still around to this day. And the Nazis didn't invent them, but they perpetuated them better than any organized group of people in maybe the history of mankind. And 
that's where a lot of this stuff either becomes popularized or, or, or starts. And I wonder, like, when you dissect that fake Hitler quote, it doesn't even sound like Hitler. It's not like Hitler was saying Jews are bad, but I'm cool with everybody else. Please. Hitler believed in one pure race. Hitler was barely even a white supremacist because there were tons of white people who Hitler hated. He believed in one pure race, and that was it. Uh, and, and John, I kind of want to go to you on this because y- you wrote a great piece about Steven Jackson. And Steven Jackson, to be clear, has done incredibly great and important work since the murder of George Floyd um, and has been all over the news, rightfully so. And you wrote a great piece for us about it. And like, you know, I've never met Steven Jackson. I don't know Steven Jackson. Is it, is it fair for me to wonder, like, does Steven Jackson know what to the, the extent of what Hitler did and what he represented? Yeah. So, I mean, I think what, what I want to, what I want to believe here is that he doesn't and that Deshaun doesn't because that would be some tiny little bit of justification for this enormous errors that have been made on their parts, because if you really understood and had a clear picture of the role Hitler played in the extermination of, of so many Jews and in like perpetuating all of these stereotypes and laying the groundwork for not just what happened in World War II, but so much of what has happened since then, then and you still make comments like this, that speaks to uh, some sort of ignorance or hate or any, you know, very dark thing that is inside of you when you're making comments like that and you're making those connections. So my hope is that they, that this is coming out of an abundance of uneducation on this subject and that they just did not realize what they were doing by connecting Hitler and the Jewish people. Now, that is no excuse for what was said. As Shannon Sharp, as, as Jared kind of alluded to earlier, you know, Shannon Sharp uh, really kind of took Deshaun Jackson to task saying that you need to know the context of the quotes you're, you're, you're offering and you need to provide all of that context when you're getting into issues as complicated and as sensitive as these issues are, or else you have no business making any comments whatsoever. And that, I think, kind of speaks a little bit to the larger kind of uh, point that I was going to make uh, in in this podcast was that, you know, yeah, I, I know Stephen Jackson just a little bit from covering him with the Pacers. And he has this reputation of kind of a loose cannon of, you know, speaking his mind of making mistakes, plenty of them on and off the court in his history. Uh, He's on the, uh, the, all the smoke podcast and it's a very free flowing type of a discourse and he speaks his mind. Right. And he, he, you know, he's not going to be um, pulling any punches. Um, And I think that what I saw in Minneapolis when he came here for the George Floyd demonstrations was an incredibly powerful orator 
uh, a, someone who had some authenticity of experience and relationship with George Floyd. They were close friends. And he used all of that emotion and that experience and that anger and that frustration to speak very powerfully and and to, I think, raise awareness and use his platform in a very positive way. And I think it was incredibly effective in what he was doing. And in some ways, a lot of the um, transgressions of his past, a lot of the the whatever you want to call them, obstacles and things and hurdles that he is has been through and, and has brought upon himself in some ways, only informed his position about what people of color have to deal with in terms of uh, dealing with the law enforcement. But so so he, he has this moment in Minneapolis and then afterward on CNN and, and, and elsewhere um, kind of carrying this message forward. And you're thinking, here comes a new voice and a forceful voice that can really um, just really describe what people like him are feeling in this moment. And, and do it in, a, in, a, in an incredible way. Well, then he backs Deshaun Jackson as forcefully as he did and as uh, a, and makes as many errors in education, in connection, in context as you can possibly make. And that allows for anyone who wants to downplay him on his positions on George Floyd and on law enforcement and people of color and and it allows them to minimize them and you say look this is your hero this is the guy who is going to be speaking on your behalf and it and it damages his credibility on that front in addition to all of the pain and the hurt that he puts on the jewish people by by bringing this forward so that i think is is a hugely damaging part of this that just opens the door for doubters and skeptics of him, of this movement to kind of continue to throw cold water on it. I just wanted to say quickly that, uh, Fred, you asked, like, is it possible that they don't know who or what Hitler did, what the Nazis did? I think very early in Deshaun Jackson's first apology on Instagram, he said something like, obviously Hitler is bad. But, I mean, if it's obvious, then why would you ever go about quoting him in a, something that is trying to speak for your people's own rights and, uh, you know, opportunities for progress? So either he didn't know Hitler was bad and this was a mistake of ignorance, uh, or he's lying, Right. So, and so Occam's razor is like, he just didn't know, like to the full extent of what the, he probably has heard about the Holocaust, but doesn't really know what it entails. Um, and like, that's a lot more likely than him really knowing everything about the Holocaust, knowing everything about, you know, the Nazis and knowing everything about Hitler and truly believing in that message. Like, I think that takes a bigger leap in my mind than, than the alternative, if that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think also when we're talking about education and we're talking about, did we, did he, did they know who Hitler was and what they did? I think, and um, this was mentioned on the Instagram live that he did with the rabbi this morning that Eric mentioned 
earlier on and, and the rabbi mentioned something of like, okay, if a Jewish person or any other person quoted something or that was attributed to or actually said by someone like David Duke, who was the Grand Wizard of the KKK or someone who has this really big, strong ties to a white supremacy group or, you know, any hate group, you would see this, I don't want to say universe, but this huge outrage from a bunch of different groups. If someone from the KKK said something when it was quoted for something against the black community and then some athlete or some celebrity quoted that quote, you would see a lot of people stand up from either black, they're white, they're Jewish, it doesn't matter. They'd say that's wrong and they'd kind of squash that. And maybe that person didn't fully know who David Duke was or what he did or what the KKK stands for, but they said it and there's going to be a big outcry and you didn't really see that. And I, with this situation, I also think when it comes to education, it's tough because as John was mentioning, you know, Steven Jackson did this amazing thing in, in Minneapolis and these amazing things for George Floyd and trying to educate people on the matter of systemic racism and police brutality. And he wants to educate people and educate those who have made blank statements that they might not know the context. And so it's a little frustrating for when he makes a mistake talking about Judaism and makes an anti-Semitic statement that he, people are trying to educate him. And he doesn't seem as receptive to that while he's also trying to educate other people on a, pa on a topic that he's really passionate about. And so it's kind of this like dichotomy that's a little unbalanced and a little unfair you should want to educate people on an issue that you are very passionate about. And with that, you also need to be receptive of education and, and constructive criticism from other people when you make a similar mistake that you are trying to correct. Yeah, Kendra, and Kendra just said what I've been trying to say way more eloquently. <laughs> so thank you. Of course. I think you get at a really good point, which is actually, Jared, you want to say something real quick? Actually, well, uh, just before we move on from this, I wanted to circle back quickly to what John said and then ask Kendra a question. Um, I think a huge thing here and one of my like biggest reasons part of doing this podcast is that Stephen Jackson right now is one of the most important civil rights leaders in America. And that moment of him speaking in Minneapolis was the defining moment in the imagery that began this current wave of Black Lives Matter hitting literally the, the peak since 1968, essentially, of the black civil rights movement. And so the responsibility here and like our responsibility here is to make sure that that movement is not undercut because it's a movement that all of us believe in and people that don't believe in it, even though it's like a logical human rights issue and there really shouldn't be a whether do I believe in Black Lives Matter or not. Like it's a it's a logical human rights issue and there's really only one there's only one logical answer is that you support it. But people that don't support it will take this device of this and they'll use it to undermine the movement and it hurts the movement. And so um and so Steven Jackson is someone who likes to talk about keeping it real and spinning free game and things like that. He has to recognize that while it is fun and entertaining to be, to do that and to say things that are provocative and reckless without consequence that he has put himself, whether or not, whether or not he really wanted to, he has this responsibility to himself and to humanity to be a great leader and to be a smart leader that doesn't make these mistakes because we're all counting on him to help lead this charge because everybody is listening to him. And I know because I tweeted out that I was disappointed in what he said. And thanks. So I think a lot of you guys retweeted it and ended up going viral, which was surprising. And I got a lot of death threats the other day 
Um, there were a lot of people that told me to burn in hell you and stuff like that. There were a lot of people that also just expressed just, you know, I guess not correct, but reasonable condemnation. And a lot of it was just kind of basic anti-Semitism. And it wasn't necessarily wanting me to burn in hell, but just thinking I'm part of the cabal of Jews trying to run the world. So there were a lot of people that heard what he said that probably support the Black Lives Matter movement, but they also already were anti-Semitic and it helped support that. So, Kendra, you said something that I think is interesting. And I want to go back to because you mentioned that uh, and I know you have to leave at some point. So if you have to bounce, <laughs> yeah, just like, tell me in like probably 30 seconds. <laughs> oh, OK, so do you, before I say it, do you have yes. anything else that you want to get in on? No, I mean, I kind of want to hear what you were going to say. <laughs> I was going to say you were you were talking about that. So so when that rabbi made the point to Stephen Jackson, when he was talking mm-hmm. to him in that that 20 minute or so Instagram live, which was good, by the way, if you're interested enough in this topic that you're still listening to this podcast, then then you should go check that out on on Instagram. Um, But when he said in that moment that if somebody who was white said a similarly offensive thing about black people, then there would be a massive reaction of people of all races coming out and standing up for black people in that sense. And I, I have always just kind of gotten a sense that there's, there's this sort of inferiority complex that a lot of Jewish people have, which is when somebody says something anti-Semitic, we all come out and say stuff. And we all kind of have this inferiority complex, not we all, but many of us have this inferiority complex, myself included, by the way, of man, like no one else is saying anything like does does anyone else care and and i'm not quite sure why we are like that it might just be because of the history and the 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 years of you know the holocaust was only 80 years ago like it wasn't that long ago it might be the incredibly small amount of representation that we have because of the genocide against jewish people like it 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 might be honestly because there's this weird conflicting thing with with Jews as minorities in that most Jews in the US are white. And that like when I walk down the vast majority of the time in my life, I do not feel like a minority. You know, I'm walking down the street, people look at me, they're like, that's a white person. I I I am I have white privilege. Like I am I am not a person who feels like a minority the vast majority of the time. Um, there are a couple of instances where it ends up happening. But I think there's like this Jews handle themselves as minorities, I think a little bit differently than ones who are more obviously minorities when you don't have to do the digging and find out the person's last name or whatever it is, you know? Totally. I mean, I totally agree. I think that that's like a really big difference. And then I'll hop off after I say this really quick, but yeah, I mean, if you look at me, you would never know that I'm Jewish just by my appearance or by my name, Kendra Andrews. Like that's not a stereotypical Jewish name. And so, yeah, it, you, you, I walk down the street and I'm a woman and I'm black and you can obviously tell that I am that minority, but yeah, if you're Jewish and if you're white and Jewish, you never know. And so people don't automatically treat you as a minority or see you as a minority until they do that digging. And I do think that that is difficult for a lot of Jewish people because they they, they, their ancestors and their family have been oppressed and terrible things have happened to our families and who were in concentration camps and who had to flee. And 
And I think that that's hard that people don't just automatically give you that. They just, they just don't support you right out on that because they just don't know. Um, but I do have to go, but I'm really appreciative that I got to talk with you guys about this. And um, I hope you guys have a good rest of your conversation. And I'm looking forward to listening to the part that I'm not a part of. So thanks. Yeah. Thanks. Have a good uh, one. Yeah. Eric, you had something? Uh, I probably did. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think to what you were talking about, Fred, like, I don't know about you guys, this story sort of flew over my head at the beginning, whenever that was. And I don't know if that's because there is an awful thing happening every single second right now <laughs> that it's, that it's easy to miss, you know, the next bad thing or the next bad thing. I don't know if it's because um, it seems like besides the point, because of the focus on Black Lives Matters right now, and, and I don't know if it's just because I got used to it. And I, I've, I'm, you know, not that I'm inundated with this, uh, this form of anti-Semitism, but I've heard it so often that it doesn't really impact me in any meaningful way anymore if, if, you know, my heart's just gone cold in, in that sort of way. Um, but I think, Fred, to what you were saying, like, you know, I grew up in a suburb of Toronto, and if Jews weren't the majority, they were a, you know, probably the biggest group of people, like 35, 40%, something like that. And I, I think there are a lot of communities like that where sort of not Orthodox Jews, but just for the lack of a better term, cultural Jews. And, you know, that your level of uh, how much you pay attention to the religion, how much you follow the religion can go up and down. But, you know, we were surrounded by each other. And so almost directly tied to what, you know, the content of what Jackson said is the truth is many, and I'll say specifically, white Jews, um, but many, many Jews in general, like we aren't, there's not as much of a history tied to outright poverty. And like, I come from, you know, a middle-class family and most of my friends come from middle-class families. So I think when I want to say something about anti-Semitism, especially in these times, it's like, yeah, I have a lot of privilege too. And it makes me question whether it's worth saying. I don't know if that makes sense to anybody, but um, like, I think especially now that prevents, not prevents me, but that's something in my mind before I speak out uh, on any of these issues, which is part of why I want to talk today because I want to work through those feelings and, and, and see what makes sense to say and whether anybody else sort of is there with me. Yeah. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. Every every once in a while, like, like I went. I'm from New York City. I grew up around a lot of Jews. I'm from New York City, and then I went to University of Missouri. There are a lot of people there who I was the first Jewish person they met. Somebody asked me once if if Jews were the ones who worship trees, and I was like, "Those are druids. How do you know what druids <laughs> are, but don't know what Jews are?" <laughs> Ancient Roman religions. Like, what is the Venn diagram there? It's just two, two. Adjacent well, we do have Jewish vods, so yeah. that's close enough. <laughs> Which is the holiday of trees for people that don't know. 
There you go. My uh, my friend from Hamilton, just to interrupt quickly, like my friend from Hamilton, which is 45 minutes down the road from Toronto, but, you know, shares almost, or especially then in, in our childhood, which would have been the 90s, very little in common demographically. And he was half, Jew- he is half Jewish. And he tells stories about like kids wondering where his horns were. So, and like that to me, had that too, yeah. yeah, but that to me is insane. Like I cannot imagine anybody saying that to me. But the reality is, depending on where you grow up, you still get that or you did get that. And I'm, I'm sure it does still happen. Yeah, for anyway, sure. Sorry and, to interrupt you, Fred. Yeah, no, there, there, are, there are moments where it's like I'm the first Jewish person that somebody meets and almost never anything actually offensive happens. Because even if they say something that might be construed as offensive, if I were a different person, it's just because they don't know. Like they're not meaning, and that's kind of what we were talking about earlier with Deshaun Jackson and Steven Jackson, right? Like, I don't know what they said and what they did was anti-Semitic, but I don't know if they at their core are either anti-Semitic people or wildly uninformed people. Like, I don't know. I don't know either of them personally, and I don't think it would be responsible to say either as somebody with this platform. But like, I'll tell a story for, for example, this happened when I was covering the NBA, I was talking to a player who is a lovely guy, by the way, a wonderful person. I'm not going to say the player's name because he is a wonderful person. He's a really good guy and clearly didn't know many Jews, grow up around many Jews, knew I was Jewish. And we were just kind of talking about different cultures and that kind of stuff. And he's like a really accepting person, really warm person, just a good dude. And he made kind of an offhand comment to me of like, well, you know, Jew- Jewish people, uh, what's really interesting is that Jew- Jewish people like only hire other Jews and only hang around other Jews. And so like, if there's a, if someone, there's a job opening and a Jew is going to hire a Jew, they're just going to hire their own Jew. I always think that's really interesting. And he didn't mean it as offensive. I think he actually meant it as a compliment. And it kind of comes back to the little Brown thing that you were saying earlier, right, Eric? I think he actually meant it as a compliment. Like, look at how Jews look out for each other. I felt wildly uncomfortable. I didn't say anything. I don't know if I, I guess I could have, but I just, I felt too uncomfortable being like, no man, like I'm not just like only hiring Jews. Like that's, that's not how this works. Um, it made me feel incredibly uncomfortable. Um, it made me feel like he was accusing me of being prejudiced towards everybody who's not Jewish, right? Uh, I never said anything. And it it really doesn't affect what I think of this guy's character. I really genuinely think he's a great guy. He's kind and good to everybody. And uh, But but he just had said this one thing where he was really uninformed. And I, I think there are that sort of uh, lack of information, especially when like there are just so few Jewish people and the Jewish people that are around do, I mean, it's true, do tend to congregate in, in similar places, which is true for a lot of minorities. You know, you get Jews in, in major white cities. people too. 100%. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. It's funny because that, oh, go ahead. Yeah. And so, well, no, it just, it just leads to uninformed comments, which can come off as offensive or uncomfortable or whatever. I don't think they are meaning that way, but I guess I'm part of the problem by not checking that person because then, then it starts to grow and you start to spread the disinformation, you know? 
it's so it's funny that you bring up that specific thing because that's a stereotype that's applied to pretty much every single minority group that exists and it's it's pretty much just not true um we i mean we have in america we have a system to try to uh, to, to try to prioritize hiring black people and other minorities. And it's not because of nepotism. It's because they're disproportionately underrepresented and they also have systemic racism working against them to help them achieve those positions. So we do that for the purpose of trying to help balance out inequality. But it's funny, your, your story reminds me, I'll even, I'll even put the name to it because I think it's a very positive story is Ennis Cantor, who is someone that Fred, you know, very well, um, he, I, he's, he's someone that likes really talking about these kind of things. And if anyone's familiar with them, and I have plenty of stories about this, I'm sure Fred, you've written plenty of stories about this. He is extreme. He's dedicated to fighting for freedom and equality at a level that I've never seen before. And he, there were a bunch of times, there was a time where I literally visited his mosque with him and did a story about him at his mosque. And it was an incredible experience. And he asked me a couple questions that, um, just showed his lack of knowledge about Jewish people and Jewish culture. Um, and I think maybe some people would have been offended by them, but he wasn't being presumptuous. He was just kind of asking based on things based on what he had heard. And I and he listened to my answers and he took them very positively and it helped inform him and educate himself. And it was a great positive example of the idea of trying to educate yourself that Stephen Jackson was defending when Deshaun Jackson was trying to educate himself by posting quotes that were attributed to Hitler. It was a much kind of safe form or reasonable and more empathetic form of educating himself. And you know what? We, Fred, you and I were talking about this yesterday. You know how many NBA players have spoken publicly on Steven Jackson so far? One. And it was Ennis Cantor who went on CNN right away. And the one thing that I really admire about Ennis Cantor and why I keep going to bat for him as much as I can is because he speaks about equality and freedom fighting. And he is so unbelievably consistent and persistent on doing that on behalf of everybody, not just on his own struggle. And I think he's a great example of the kind of activism that people like Stephen Jackson should be aspiring to, where even you know, his mission is particular, uh, particularly fighting against uh, tyranny in Turkey, but he also throws all of his weight behind the Black Lives Matter movement, speaking out against anti-Semitism, all those kind of things. And I think that's what obviously we should be looking for in our leaders. Well, yeah. And, and I think like that's where like these conversations and what has come up off of Deshaun and, and Stevens Jackson's comments is important is because it, I think you know, speaking as just a plain old white guy um, who kind of looks at these things. Finally. And Yes, yes, I know. Finally, Finally you got get, your chance. Can we get my perspective eventually here? <laughs> Finally, a white I mean, guy guys, gives his perspective. I'm so race. selfish about this. I mean, gosh. But uh, yeah, no, but like, you know, as someone who tries to be as a cognizant of the people around me and 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 any struggles that that they go through, I still think that it might be a little bit easier for. Uh, people in general to minimize the um, the disenfranchisement that Jewish people fe feel and experience regularly because there isn't video of a police officer putting his knee on a Jewish guy's neck and killing him, right? Like there's not the right now, there's not the Rodney King, um, you know, backlash videos that we saw in, in LA and that have sparked these uprisings full frontal. Now, of course, 
the Holocaust. Uh, and, and there's been many instances over the years, but people forget or, or, or move on, I think quicker in this society than ever before. We just had to watch a 10 part documentary on Michael Jordan to remember how great he was. And he, you know, he just stopped playing in the early two thousands. And so I think like having these things and these conversations front and center, um, now, have to serve as a vehicle to say that we do have to pay attention to this, um, you know, on, on, a, on multiple fronts and give it the care and give it the consideration it needs because it's too easy for someone like Deshaun Jackson to say, well, yeah, we all know Hitler was bad, but, and move forward, you know, and, and, and that, like, that's just a staggering um, understatement of, what has happened over the years and just because it hasn't been right in her face, right on her, on her, on her Twitter screens, you know, all the time. And I think while I appreciate you saying that, I think it's very important to recognize part of what Stephen Jackson was saying when he talked about don't compare your trauma to mine and things of that nature. So I think a a huge thing is that I think the, the lineage of trauma for Jews, at least right now is different than what it is for, especially black people in America where we experienced for one, I think Jewish communities around the world were extremely oppressed for a long time of pretty much, all around the world been extreme minority groups that faced major persecution. And then the Holocaust happened. And that was, I mean, literally, I think two thirds of all Jews in Europe were murdered in the Holocaust. And that a lot of that was my family. And I think, I think somewhere around half of my family that was in Europe at the time was killed in the Holocaust. And so for me, there is that lineage of trauma where I recognize that when societies fall apart and become polarized and start to point the fingers at racial groups like we're seeing right now that like I look at Trump's election and what's happening in this country right now. And I'm seeing that as someone who studied history and studied international politics, I see this as extremely similar to 1930s Germany and 1930s Germany was basically the Deutschmark, their currency went completely under their economy collapsed and Hitler and the Nazis used that to blame the Jews and start and led to the worst genocide we've seen in modern society. Um, and we're, we're facing a lot of the same conditions now. So right now I look at this country and I feel a lot of fear for that happening again. And as a Jew, I think back to my history and how that happened. And I see the way that black people and Muslim people and Latino people are being targeted now by half of like, or what seems like half the society and I feel obligated to step up and support them to prevent this from happening again. And so I feel like a huge thing right now is that Stephen Jackson was saying that he felt like Jewish people were not stepping up and being allies in the movement. And while I don't agree with that at all, and I see, I mean, I live in Cambridge, Massachusetts. It's one of the most progressive cities in the entire country. Every single church and temple and everywhere has literally has Black Lives Matter banners all over it. So from my perspective, it's easy to say that we're supporting the movement. Um, and obviously, individually, if people pay attention, it was it's weird getting so many messages in replies on my Twitter about how I don't care about the Black Lives Matter movement and stuff like that. Where like anyone that has looked at my social media or the work that I've been doing would see like how much I'm fighting for it because it is it is personal for me because we've gone through the Holocaust and we recognize how if you don't protect the people around you, eventually the people that are hunting them are going to come for you. And that's something that we have to recognize and we have to listen if people 
in you know an African American community are telling us that they need us to step up and be more supportive. So I do recognize that, um, but it doesn't obviously make up for all the other crap that was said. Uh, I just want to add regarding Jackson. I think he was asked, "Does he think that Jews have supported uh, the black community almost from a historical perspective?" And he sort of said, "Not enough." And like, I would agree with that for the most part, like, but not just Jews. Like, I think we're in the situation we're in because nobody other than the black community regularly took up the cause for this like gross injustice that was happening in any number of cities in any number of locations. And yeah, like, I think, like you said, Jared, because Jews have that history you know, uh, we sure we certainly shouldn't be comparing traumas, but our trauma is actually a, a, gift, us. a gift in the sort in, in our ability to to uh, empathize and sympathize, and that's something that we can use to support them and uh, to, to support the Black Lives Matter movement. And I guess the hope is that when something like this happens and when Steven Jackson says some totally indefensible things that he believes in the same thing. And it's just until you see that happening and until he really speaks to that, it's hard to fully get on board with an apology of, I used the wrong words, not, not to minimize his apology, but you know, a lot of that, a lot of his apology, especially the first few apologies came down to, I used the wrong words. Uh, whereas it's really a deeper, a much deeper issue than the wrong words. It was the, you know, they were lies and distorted messages. It was the sentiment. Sorry, I, I just want to quickly. It was sentiment. Oh, sure. Yeah. Agreed. And I just yeah, want to quickly ahead. say, because I don't know if I said it specifically, and that was kind of the important thesis of what I was saying before, is is recognizing that uh, like Jewish people today, for the significant majority, do not experience anything remotely close to the systematic oppression and direct oppression and racism that Black people are experiencing in society. And I think that it's very important that Jewish people recognize that is the case. And even if we have this significant trauma from the Holocaust that is recent and informs our empathy, we definitely there shouldn't be people claiming that Jews are facing the same type of oppression and racism that Black people are facing. It's a it's not it's you know it's not even remotely close. And it's like, why is this a competition? <laughs> like, yeah, exactly. Like recognize it and say to your earlier point, there is one point of view to have on the Black Lives Matter movement, and it's that Black Lives Matter. And uh, and that's all there is. And it doesn't matter how much you've been oppressed or how much another group is also oppressed at the same time. All these lives should be held in equal value. And if that's not what we're striving for, what the hell are we doing? And it's it, this goes to just like the condition of social media now and just in the the idea of the fringe voices being elevated by social media. It's that, you know, like from Steven Jackson's perspective, for instance, the way that he was reacting to the backlash was probably based on people messaging him. It wasn't based on how 
people that are reasonable are talking about things or how the news is talking about it. It's the fact that when he said something, he was getting flooded with messages and they were probably mostly messages that were either filled with vitriol or overwhelming support because the people on the fringes are the ones that tend to speak the loudest. And so we'll often find, Hey, as, as NBA reporters, when we tweet something out, we're going to get people saying, how do you, why do you hate our team? Or, you know, like stuff like that. People that are furious for the most part, even if there's probably an even spectrum of people reacting normally or extremely, we tend to only notice the people that are reacting extremely. And so it's really easy to feel like everybody is screaming at you. when in reality, not everybody is necessarily screaming at you. So that made Steven Jackson feel even more defensive, especially as someone who I guess as part of keeping it real tends to come across as being pretty stubborn. And so he feels like he has to double down because he's being attacked when he maybe wasn't being attacked in the way that he necessarily thought he was being. It's the old Yelp theory. There are one star Mm. reviews and there are five star reviews. You don't get many three star reviews. Like that point is acceptable. And I have slight problems with it, but it's mostly fine. (laughs) You don't, you don't tend to hear, hear those. And so you get the ones and the fives and, uh, you know, I respond, I have a, like many of us, I assume have a terrible, I'm, we're off topic now, but I respond, well, no, but you're to, making- I respond to the ones way too often and <laughs> I need to stop doing that. And I think the world would, uh, you know, we could all find a little more internal peace if we, if we could stop doing that, but I'm off topic. Now. But you no, know, but you're making a perfect point about the, the fact that Steven Jackson making this mistake in this one arena doesn't delegitimize everything else that he's standing yeah. for, but it does to a lot of one star reviewers. And that makes up a huge portion of the country. And we need to make sure that those one star reviewers are not completely tuning out the message because they're pissed off about this one thing. I just think it's a shame. He's so unwilling to listen. Like, at least Deshaun Jackson, and I don't, I don't think Deshaun Jackson changed his opinion and his views in twelve hours. Like I don't think that that happened. But at least Deshaun Jackson sent out that thing, and after twelve hours of reaction or fourteen hours of reaction or whatever it was, was like, oh man, I messed up here. Got to fix this somehow, and put out his notes app apology and sent out a video is actually doing some stuff and and I don't think that Deshaun Jackson has completely changed his way of viewing but at least he recognized and maybe it's just a PR ploy and Deshaun Jackson is secretly this this anti-semite who's trying to spread propaganda but he doesn't come off that way to me because what he did was a pretty ineffective way to spread it uh so he's being just ignorant and stupid really yeah and, and so so at least Deshaun Jackson recognized, I believe that he recognized that he messed up. I don't know if he recognized how badly he messed up. I don't know if he recognized how bad what he said was. And I don't like, I don't feel the need to be best friends with Deshaun Jackson, but I don't like hate Deshaun Jackson. What I'm, what I'm upset with Steven Jackson about is how unwilling he's been to listen to the people who have been hurt and who are telling him, no, like, you can't say that about us. You can't spread this. Cause like, Jared, you're right. We're, we're in a time with rising anti-Semitism with a president who describes anti-Semitic marches of people chanting Jews will not replace us as very fine people. We're, we're in different times than we were 10 years ago. And even if we weren't, it still wouldn't be appropriate. But right now, like, 
Steven Jackson probably has a bigger voice and a bigger following. I'm even going to say probably. Steven Jackson for sure has a bigger voice and a bigger following now than he did when he was a player. Like, and that's rare. That is not common for, for retired players. But between a very successful podcast and the fact that over the last six weeks, he has become an incredibly inspiring figure to many, many people, then he has created this, this incredibly loyal following. And he's done some amazing, amazing things. But people listen to him now. And, and Jared, getting back to Ennis Kanner, who I have had conversations because Ennis is Muslim and I'm Jewish and I covered Ennis for two years in Oklahoma City. And we've had conversations about like being Jewish and being Muslim. And Ennis is an incredibly accepting person. I thought it was very cool what he said on ESPN, on, ESPN, on uh, CNN. But the first thing that he said in that clip that he was on CNN when he tweeted it out was, if you're going to talk about sensitive topics like this, make sure you know what you're talking about before you say it because your voice matters and it projects onto other people. And the issue isn't so much that he hurt my feelings. Like I didn't sleep any less last night because Steven Jackson said what he said. My dinner didn't taste any worse. When I watched School of Rock the other night, I didn't enjoy it any less than I normally would. Well, that's a problem right there that you're wasting time watching School of Rock. Dude, School of Rock is awesome. I've seen it like (laughs) 25 times. But he didn't ruin my day or my week barely ruined my hour. You know, it was, it was nothing, but, but the issue is that somebody else who is ignorant, somebody else who doesn't understand how hurtful and how more so more than hurtful, how harmful those words can be. And now they can percolate throughout a society. Someone else can pick that up because he's got a following now. He's got people who listen to him and, and, especially on civil rights issues. Cause he's been so, he's been so important to that issue for a month and a half now. Uh, and that to me is the thing, like you are spreading inappropriate messages and many of the people who listen to you might be susceptible to taking those inappropriate messages and turning them into dangerous ones. John, you have the floor. (laughs) Thank you. Uh, I'm just turning that into the running gag. I'm turning this into please the running do, gag of our, uh, of our podcast. Because this is, this is what's serious support. topic. It's a very serious topic, so there needs to be a running gag in the anti-Semitism <laughs> podcast. Without question. <laughs> and, I, and I'm going to let you put the running gags in rather than me. So, yeah, no. Uh, so we can just I mean, kind of keep Being Jewish is all about right processing pain with uh, comedy, obviously. <laughs> um, but, like, building off of that, Fred, I think, to kind of put on, put myself in Steven Jackson's shoes here in terms of the not listening, in terms of the stubbornness. And I think one of the things that we have to factor in here is that as his profile has risen over these last six weeks, in general, and he has been largely celebrated for what he has been saying. Now, of course, there have been people on the other side of the civil rights issue who are lobbing grenades at him and, and, and trying to criticize him and, and those things. But it's easy to kind of dismiss those one-star reviews, you know, in his case, when there are so many five-star reviews flooding into him every single day. Yeah, Stephen, keep going. You're hitting the right notes. Yeah, we'll follow you. You're right. You got this. And so this is kind of the first time in this period where he has really 
made a, a grave error, a big misstep, a big mistake. And I think that maybe there's some pride in him that says, no, man, I'm sticking to my guns. I've been propped up and and I believe that what I'm saying is the real real. And that's where my strength comes from is this. Again, it doesn't make it right. It doesn't justify it. But I, I think that the intoxication that can come with that platform can be dangerous. And he has to learn from that and understand how important it is and how quickly it can change. Hopefully, this is step one to that. And it will take a process for him to really kind of engage and figure this part of it, of it out. And it will eventually sink into him. But I think that that intoxication is part of what we could be seeing right now. And I think you're hitting on a great point here. And this goes back to the the word context that I was talking about at the beginning, which I think the word context is literally the most important word of the 21st century, because we're in a time now where facts are completely different depending on how they're contextualized by different ends of the political spectrum. And so Stephen Jackson has been speaking within the context of Black Lives Matter this entire time, where I think he felt the freedom to maneuver and say what he wanted without specifically contextualizing it because everybody understands it's under the guise of fighting for equality and freedom for black people. But then when he jumps into this arena of talking about where it's, we're touching on, on these anti-Semitism third rails, he was no longer trying to exercise that, or he didn't recognize that he was stepping out of the lane that he was usually in and was in a much, it was in an area that required much more contextualization. And he can't, he can't speak in generalities because he's already speaking about things that seem to be offensive. And the more that you general and vague that he got with it, the more that it seemed he was leaning into the offensive side of it. And so I don't really believe most of what he has said in his various mea culpas that I think have gotten progressively better to the point that the conversation with the uh, with the rabbi from L.A., I think he generally did a good job of accepting what the rabbi was saying and saying, I understand now and I apologize for that. But I also am a little bit skeptical because of just how skeptical, how it seemingly full of shit it was uh, for the first few iterations. But he um, trying to remember how I was going to finish that up. But basically that he just he has I think this is a reminder to him and to everybody else that's speaking out, including Deshaun Jackson, like recognizing that if you're going to put something out there, you need to frame it carefully. And it's easy to forget to do that, both when you're a professional athlete who spends most of your life constantly getting asked questions where you just don't even have the time to properly contextualize everything you're saying. So, Eric, go ahead. And I mean, what's one of the things we talked about at the beginning, not the beginning, but after George Floyd's death about what everybody, every single person who supports this can do. And it's just listen. And, you know, that, that goes for, you know, somebody as important and as Steven Jackson has been, you know, if you're going to screw up, you're going to say things that are just wrong. You know, we can talk about intent, but we're never going to know his intent. But if we're giving him the benefit of the doubt and I'd like to, uh, Let's just say when you screw up and you will screw up, listen, take a minute, let it breathe and then come back with what you've got to say. Like if, you know, the more, you know, I find myself often like I can when I'm 
attacked. I can get very defensive. And like when the right thing to do is like, let criticism come in, really digest it, see what's worthwhile, see what's not, and then, and then respond. But if you don't listen, you don't have a chance to really absorb what's important. And a big thing is let's make sure we don't cancel Steven Jackson. Let's let's get away from cancel culture. Um, But you know, a big thing and something I learned when studying corporations and recalls is that, you know, when a corporation faces a recall or something like that, people are like, Oh, I want to get away from them. But no, they're actually the one company that is forced to completely redo everything that they were doing wrong and fix all those problems. And that should make you, in a sense, trust them even more because they at least have gotten caught and they had to do all the corrections, had to undergo a level of scrutiny to actually fix their problems. And same thing with Stephen Jackson now, where if he actually if that like if that rabbi got through to him and he really recognized the failure in his ways and he learned from that, then that's going to significantly strengthen his ability to see the path forward as the leader and to continue to lead us. And hopefully this will make him a much better leader by learning from this mistake. So that's why it's it's just so important. I mean, it's different. Like Jeffrey Epstein didn't deserve a second chance, but like Steven Jackson, he deserves to let us hear him grow and then appreciate his growth and let him lead from that instead of holding him to the mistakes of the past. Yep. We got to give him the opportunity to grow, but he's also got to take the opportunity. But I agree with you. I agree with you on everything you said. Um, I think that's anybody else got anything before we uh, wrap up. I think we touched on a lot, right? No, good yeah. stuff. Well, I want to, I want to thank all you guys for coming on and having this conversation. I think it was good. Um, so that's Jared Weiss, John Krasinski, Eric Kareen, Kendra Andrews, uh, Andrew Schlecht, the producer who is, who has been uh, in the background the whole time producing this thing. Uh, thanks to everybody. Uh, I'm Fred Katz. I hope, I hope you guys enjoyed this listen. I hope it was informative and uh, as helpful to the listeners as it was to everybody on here. Thanks for listening.